want to start with a prayer, and if you'll just uh, bow your heads and hearts together, we will do that. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that there is a church. We're grateful that you have preserved for us that first-generation church, and it humbles us. We pray that as we look at the church, what it is and how our role in it, though it changes from time to time, how we might better fit ourselves into those roles and have it emulate that first generation of believers, that first century of believers. Be with us, Father, and with everyone that has gathered. Bless each heart and bless this old brother with some recall that he's concerned may not be there. And thank you for this dear young brother whose mind is sharp and whose mind is looking forward to serving this church in his generation as we have in ours. Thanks and praise be to thee, O Lord, for all that there might be here that will be of value for thy kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I, I have a problem with the title that was given to us because the church is not a what, it's a who. Uh, we look at church as being a place where we go. Uh, we look at church as a place of, of worship uh, and to fellowship together. But the church is not a what, it's a who. And if we can remember that we are a living organism that is the body of Jesus Christ in this world, it makes a big difference how we look at church. Um, David Burko, some of you have read some of his books like Will the Real Heretics Really Stand Up? David was a man who wasn't necessarily a practicing Christian, but in his examination of the Christian faith, he became one. And he uh, was a person who worked with deeds and, and, and house um, uh, real estate kinds of documents, and so he was a real studious nitpicker on little things. And he really searched Christianity as I have not read any other historian to do that. And he's a current historian. Don't know how old David is, but he's current. Uh, Brother Jimmy, you are a, a builder, and I'm not sure if you build houses or, or, or buildings, commercial buildings, but I want to give you a hypothetical case. Uh, the house has its foundation in, the blocks are all laid, the floor joists are in, the subfloor is down, and it's ready to build the walls, and here are the two-by-fours. What's the first thing you do when you cut those loose to use them? Question relating to the two-by-fours? Yeah, no, it's relating to building the walls, the two-by-fours, yep. Okay. You need to see where the crown of that piece was at, which way it's crowned. Okay. And then you're going to want to measure it okay. to confirm what you're working with. Okay. Um, with respect to the, to the lumber itself, you can probably look at the species. Well, could be. Species of lumber. An ignorant person like me wouldn't care whether it would, you know. Uh, and, and you pick up that first two by four, and you have it exactly as you said. It's straight, it's measured. Uh, what do you do with it? Do you nail it to the subfloor? Well, um, 
Okay. 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 Slab's perfect. Slab is perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. We're going to go snap out the house. Okay. We have to lay that. Yeah, the layout's done and it's perfect. Um, <laughs> we, we, we want to start building the wall. We want to start using the two by fours. All right. What you're going to do is you're going to. You're, you're going to and you got that first perfect one now. Okay. Um, you need to lay out the plates. Okay, you've done that. Okay. And you'll pick up some, uh, some nails from your hammer and you'll begin to nail okay. two by fours uh, in place in the wall. That's what happens when they ask the wrong questions. <laughs> the way I've seen it done, uh, I, I, they, they, they take that first two by four that's perfect, it's straight, its measurement is correct, and they'll paint it red on the end. Why would they do that? Not because they like red, but because that's going to be the standard two by four that every succeeding one is cut from. See, that's why I came here. Well, you know, even even math might have. But but the point is that first two by four becomes the standard to which all the rest are cut. Uh, if you want to have have a lot of fun, uh, take take a stick and cut it to a certain length, and then take measuring it, and you take another stick and measure it, and you cut it off and you take another stick and measure it and cut it off, what happens? Yeah, it, it ends up not being quite the same. So the standard two by four, every one, at least when the old carpenters work, the young ones now probably buy it already long enough, all of them the same, pre-cut, thank you, is, is, is always the one that is referred to or the wall will be like this. Exaggerated, of course. And I use that because that's the, the, if, if the church would have done that over the ages, Christianity uh, would, would not have become, become nominal so quickly. Uh, and, and, and 2 Corinthians, part of the verse says, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves by themselves are not wise. Uh, why? was that an unwise practice of comparing ourselves to each other as a church? Well, not, and that's true. Period. And that's true. That's the, sta- that's the point. And Burko's point is correct. If the church really wants to stay orthodox, and I use that not as, uh, you know, the, the Greek or- orthodox or whatever, but if it wants to remain orthodox, its comparison has to be to the word and to the word only, not to each other. Uh, uh, I've heard it many times. Well, that's the way they do it in Mansfield. Fine, if that works. Uh, or Windsor or whatever. Uh, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of good things in all of those churches, but they're not to be compared by others who are serving the Lord and, and maintaining the church. Um, this, this is not going to be a history class. It's going to be a, a, a discussion, we hope, John and I hope, on how we can best serve that model church that was first century. Um, 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he should teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, all things, whatsoever I have said unto you. Who said that? Christ. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, uh, don't tell me what Paul said. Uh, tell me what Christ said. I, 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 I want to take Christ's words. As a young preacher, I was actually challenged once that I used. Now, it was in the scriptures, but he said, you know what? Those things aren't important. It's what Christ said. Well, okay. What did he say in John 17, 18, and 20? He said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And he said, neither pray I for these alone. Who were these? Who? The disciples that he was with at the time, okay? So I'm not praying alone for them, but for them that shall believe on me through their word. And so the whole counsel of God was the teachings of Christ and the disciples after him. And I want to say to you, however correct it is, Everything else after that is commentary. I want to say that again. After the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the apostles, the Holy Bible, everything after that, no matter how correct, it seemingly correct is commentary. Remember that, please. Yes. Chronology. I want you to look at the numbers. Um, Christ died... Somebody said in October, but I don't know about that, but it was in 32 A.D. after the calendar was corrected. Uh, and if you'll notice, uh, John Mark wrote the, his gospel, and those numbers and all of the rest did. The thing that is not up there is that Luke wrote the Acts, uh, which sandwiched in somewhere in those. But I want you to note that uh, Saul of Tarsus met Christ on the road to Damascus in A.D. 37. That's five years after the ascension of the Lord. He dropped Saul of Tarsus in the dirt on the road to Damascus, and he became the ambassador of the church. And notice this, that his ministry began in A.D. 40, uh, he wrote his first works that are in the scriptures in A.D. 52, and the last letter was set, uh, that he wrote while he was in prison, he wrote to Timothy in 67 from prison in, uh, in Rome. Prior to his martyrdom, they beheaded him on the uh, Appian Way that leads to Rome. What do you find in this in terms of the numbers of the writings? Don't all speak at once, we'll have chaos. Well, the disciples may have been late. They were later. Their writings were later, and that's the point. And, and so the other writings primarily that became the charter of the church were written by the Apostle Paul. These all wrote their Gospels later. John as late as, as the, the last decade of the first century. And so... The scriptures that we have were in the hands of the church, the first church, the orthodox church,
before any of these gospel writers wrote anything. And, of course, they were added by scholars later on, and, 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 and rightly so. And so the things that Paul, Paul was the architect of the, the first century church. And how often do you hear people challenge? So I had a sister uh, not long ago. Well, Leona and I both knew them very, very well as a family and, and hadn't seen them for a long time. And uh, the sister made it a point to say to Leona, you know, I, I just want you to know I don't wear a head covering anymore because I've done a lot of studying and it isn't necessary, really, according to God. No kidding. Well, Leona said, I love you with all my heart, but when you're in my presence and we're praying or listening to the word or singing in the choir, please wear one because it offends me if you don't. And that's a simple example of uh, taking the scriptures that were the charter of the church and saying they aren't necessary anymore. Okay? Uh, um, from that introduction... We want to look at now how might we best serve the Lord in the church, in this world, and in our lives. Um, a couple of verses to start out with. Matthew sixteen eighteen. This was Christ speaking. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in Ephesians five twenty seven, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, obviously the goal in the end is that, that um, the church would be holy and without blemish and prevent, um, presented spotless before the Lord. Um, God gave us the church because he knows that we as humans, um, we don't like to be alone. We like to be together. We need the support of one another. Um, it's sometimes very hard when we're isolated for a while, and he knew that we would need this support group here on earth to um, just strengthen us. Um, I heard a sermon once that was, had a very good analogy, and it's, um, you know, in the Bible, Paul talks about the church being the body. And if you think about it, that's a really good analogy, because could have said the church is... Uh, Toolbox. We all have different skills, different tools, different tasks. Or he could have made the analogy that the church is a team where each player has a different role, a different job to do. But the analogy is of a body because the difference between the first two examples in the body is when the foot hurts, the rest of the body knows about it. When your hand is maybe weak or um, not able to do something, the rest of your body will compensate for it. So that's the difference between different tools aren't talking together and communicating and helping each other. But whereas the body, we're working together, we're compensating for maybe if someone's struggling or someone's weak or someone needs more strength, and the entire body has to work together. Um, one of the um, points for how we, what, what is our role in the church or how can we, how can we serve God, I think... Um, Something that I've learned recently is how we really need to be real with one another, how we can't just go to church and have sort of a friendly relationship, but just never get past the surface level. Um, something that has been 
the importance really been impressed on me recently is just how we have to be um, very real and open with one another. Um, we need to share those things that God is doing in our lives, things that he's doing right now. What is Christ doing for us now, um, day to day, week to week? In Luke 8.39, it says, Return to thine own house and show how great things God has done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus, has, Jesus had done unto him. So we need, we need to tell each other, we need to share what Christ did in our lives that week, that day. What is, what is he showing us? What is, how are we growing in him daily? Um, something that a brother in our church back home had posed several times is if we, if we were just to ask um, whoever in our church, you know, tell, share with us how you've trusted the Lord recently. How far back would we have to think? Would we, you know, think on the back, last week, the last month? Um, do we only think about maybe the few, like, large, big decisions in our lives, maybe conversion or um, marriage or something else that was very big and impacted us, but... Where the, can we think back and or, um, do we have in our memories at times when we've really trusted the Lord in the smaller details of our lives? I think one thing that um, is really might, might um, set us back or, or keep us from sharing with one another is that um, it's hard. You think if you boil it all down to it, it's hard to open up and um, peel off the masks or the, the facades that we might hide behind at church. But it's so important that we are um, real and transparent with one another. And it helps us examine our own lives. When someone, you know, when someone asks you um, genuinely, how are you doing or what's going on in your life, you know, the typical response, yeah, I'm good, I'm okay, I'm doing well. But you really take the time to think. I know um, certain brothers, when they ask me, how are you doing, that really is, causes me to, you know, quick self-examination, how have, how have I been really doing? Um, what's going on in my life? Um, helps us take stock, take account what might be holding us back or what's, um, what roadblocks in our life or what, um, what have we been victorious in, or it just helps us to um, not just sit by and be comfortable with the status quo. Um, another very important aspect of being real with one another is it um, just the accountability that we need to have. Um, each one of us are called to be our brothers and sisters keepers. Um, that's one of the one of the functions of the church to keep one another accountable, and that we could um, hand-in-hand be strengthening one another and just um, moving together as a body, as one. Just one example of that, um, how, you, how useful that is or how beneficial um, I've found um, is with just another brother. You know, maybe it, um, we miss some days, but you know, how did you spend your time that day? Did you spend the time in the Word? Did you take that time to be quiet with the Lord? And just keep, keep um, 
us keeping asking each other of that um, just encourages each other to um, continue in um, forming good habits like that. I think that's very important that we that we do keep one another accountable in small things and and just in general. Um, one of the other things of keeping keeping each other accountable is, um, you know, we we go to church and we oh complain about this person or oh that person, um, but that's really that's the wrong approach to take. We should be going directly to them and, you know, being real with them and talking to them, not just talking about them. And I think that's that's all part of being accountable as well. Um, James 5.16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So some of the benefits of sharing and being real with one another is we get that accountability, but we also get... Um, the prayer support of our brothers and sisters. We get um, them maybe checking up on us or um, you know, asking us, you know, how have you been in this area or have you experienced victory in this area? And that's just one of the functions and one of the roles that God put in each one of us as members of his body. Um, another um, benefit to... Um, sharing the, the struggles or the, um, the challenges that we go through is that a lot of the times Satan likes to tell us that you're the only one in this situation or you haven't, um, you've, you're the only one experiencing this when really that's just a complete lie from the devil because um, chances are there's, there's more than another person at church that is going through that. Um, and by us being real with one another and sharing these things, we can be encouraged and strengthened and um, be able to maybe share techniques or methods or um, things that helped us get through it. I think sometimes also being real also helps us. Um, it allows us to take off the masks, but then it, al- it allows, when, we, when we're being very real with one another and um, we've gone past that surface level, we can... We can take, um, we can give, and we can also receive um, maybe the scolding from one another, or, you know, we can t- um, be very straight up with one another and telling, you know, you got to make this more of a priority, or receiving the same thing from one another. And I think that's something that is also very important. And sharing the victories that we have, it also inspires um, when I hear of a victory someone else had that inspires myself to um, just to see the power of God, how he's working in our lives and what he can do. And I think that's important that we also share our victories with one another, share what, what he's done in our lives and how we've been able to experience victories by his power. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Um, I just want to focus in on the support, um, the section where he said support the weak. Because sometimes we're going to be weak and we're going to need the support 
of our brothers and sisters around us. And other times, we're going to need to give that support, that helping hand, that lifting up and encouraging. Um, um, got an email once from a brother that, um, with a very good analogy. In um, commercial buildings, they're um, very standardly used, these types of trusses. And they're great for handling large loads across large spans. But after spans get certain, uh, after a certain length of span, the truss by itself can't, it can even buckle under its own weight. It can't support itself. So what, what they do is, as they assemble them, they put up one truss and immediately bind it to the next one and connect it so that, in the end, all the, the entire truss structure is bound together. And it's only strong enough to span the large gap, the large distance, when it's bound together. Because by itself, over that long distance, that long span, it can't, it can't even support its own, weight, uh, its own weight. So we as um, the body of Christ, we need to have that same approach that we can't, sometimes we, we can't have the, the strength on our own, but together as a body, collectively, we can, and with God's help, we can have the strength to span the greatest challenges, the biggest struggles, the um, whatever it might be in our path. Something that I think is also very important um, is just the fellowship and the time that we spend together um, at church and outside of church. Um, sometimes we, we need to be good listeners, and sometimes we might have something on our hearts that we just we need to talk about, we need to share with someone. And I think um, these times together are so very important. We, we need to um, exercise this and do this, um, you know, whether it's, it's just going out for coffee or lunch or time in the car spent traveling here or there. Um, use these times to be real with one another and to um, share what's really going on in our lives. And um, I know it's just it's an incredible blessing that I've experienced. I don't want to go on a number two yet. What, what is this about being our brother's keeper? Uh, what does that involve? What does that involve? Is that easy? Yes. Okay. That's going to ensure the fact that you can be involved in their lives. What makes it difficult? Louder. Uh, on whose part? First. Okay. What is Matthew? Yes. Yes, I will do that. Henceforth, I've forgotten what a couple of these were because I didn't hear them well myself. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Brother Mike suggests that uh, even if we don't have a relationship with that person, we have a responsibility towards them to be helpful to them, just to summarize what he said. Uh, we were asked once in a, in, a, in a group at home what we think our gift is, and one sister quickly raised her hand, and she said, I have the gift of admonishment. <laughs> oh, and she exercised it frequently, <laughs> uh, to little avail. 
And I, I'm thinking about that when we talk about being our brother's keeper. That doesn't mean that we, we have to look at everyone always under a microscope and make sure that they be more like we are. Being our brother's keeper takes an, inve- uh, an, an investment of time that sometimes in your busy schedule, I'm retired, I, I don't have that uh, privilege anymore to say, you know, Lord, I haven't got the time. I really do. I really do now. And you need to take the time. And the relationship aspect, as, as the sister in the back said, is really important. And, and it doesn't absolve us, as Brother uh, Mike was saying, of being concerned about our brother uh, just because we don't have a, a close relationship with him. Um, the early church was a praying church. Someone once said that, that par- prayer is the breathing of the soul. It's also essential for the life of the church. And, and I was kind of shocked not long ago when I heard that there, there was an element in one of our churches that really thought uh, having a communal or collective prayer was wrong, that prayer meetings were wrong. Uh, I think they ought, I hope, but they probably aren't. I hope they're attending Brother Scott's uh, uh, forum this morning that talks exactly about that. We have made positively miraculous experiences because in Syracuse, we really believe in collective prayer. Uh, To the extent that if someone has really a, a great need, a deep need, they'll call and say, can we get together either late this afternoon or in church this evening because, and 15 or 20 people will converge on the church for that alone. And, and literally, miraculous things have been done as a result of that. I'm going to share only one of them. We had a young couple that lived uh, in our close proximity when we lived at the lake, and uh, she became pregnant with twins. And he was a man who traveled every fourth week to Chicago in the business that he was in. And she frantically called Leona and, and, and said, you know, I've gone to uh, my uh, doctor, and he said that our twins are sharing the same embryonic sac and that the chances of either of them were slim to, sur- to survive, uh, but it's certain that both of them won't. And she, and we never, we tried so often to witness to these people, and she knew that we went to church on Wednesday night, and Leona said, oh, don't worry, uh, we're going to go to church, and we're going to pray about that. And the next time, which was a week later, when she went back to her obstetrician, each of those babies had their own embryonic sac. And that's just one miracle that I, we can attest to. Uh, so a praying church doesn't mean that e- just that every member that comes in and dutifully sits in their place and bows their head and prays. No, 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 no. That means that we have, as, as Brother John uh, said, care one for another and others who have needs and come together uh, and, and beseech the Heavenly Father. The early church did that. Give me an example. Peter in prison. Give me another example. Who started the church in Philippi? Lydia, a woman. Uh, when did Paul first meet her? At the riverside. What were they doing? All crocheting and knitting? They were praying. Collective prayer 
began the church in Philippi. Um, uh, things that the church ought to pray for uh, uh, include our, our own brothers and sisters, and John brought that up and, and in fact, had a scripture that talked about that, that confessing your faults one to another and praying one for another that you may be healed, that's part of the brother's keeper thing, isn't it? Uh, but in a sense, not to, to judge or to condemn, but in, in a sense of bringing them to a, 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 a uh, victorious conclusion with whatever their problem is and a closer relationship with God, right? Uh, James... Uh, mentions something about praying one for another, and then talks about something that goes uh, beyond the prayer. Remember what he said? If, if a brother or a sister is destitute, and you say to them, uh, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them. So prayer coupled with action is what the early church did, and we also should do. We should pray for our church leaders. Uh, Paul said, Wherewithal praying for us, also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance, giving him opportunity to share the gospel, to speak the mystery of Christ. And then in Colossians, he wrote, finally pray for us that the word may have free course and that, and if you want to give us the rest of it, uh, we might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. Uh, how often... Have you specifically prayed for the leadership of the church? Don't answer that, please. And I certainly won't ask you what you prayed for. But I remember one brother, when we lived in, lived in Mansfield, uh, where they go home for lunch and then they come back, uh, was uh, preaching, and he said, what did you have for lunch? Roast preacher? <laughs> that may sound strange to some, but I, I know that that happens. And what he meant was, uh, who of you went home and had lunch and talked about what the preacher said or did wrong? And we wonder sometimes why churches suffer. Uh, uh, and, and for the churches as a whole, it's interesting that we in this country where Christianity is, is actually a, a fad, uh, probably don't think about that, but for the churches as a whole, uh, and I used an Old Testament scripture on that one, if people, you know that, it's 714, so I won't take the time to read it, uh, and therefore, my brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How often did you pray for a little church that has one ministering brother that goes to the pulpit all by himself always? How often did you pray for those that are struggling just to maintain a fellowship? Uh, and so some of the benefits that accrue to the church uh, that is fervent and faithful in prayer, you surprised what they are. Love is evident to all who enter the church. I'm not talking about brother and sister, but the the, the neighbors that walk into the church. Coconut Creek sits on a corner of, of two streets. It is rare that there, that there aren't at least one or two strangers in our pews every Sunday. Every Sunday. And some stay. Uh, 
Some uh, stay a while. But the thing that they will say that draws them to stay is not that it says, and it doesn't say on our sign, we, we love you, but we, you're invited to come in, stranger. It's the love that we have for each other that is the calling card to the stranger that walks in the door. And, and, and let me tell you, they're coming from a crass and callous world where love is an anomaly that is, 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 is so vague to them, and they can feel that love, that familial love that we have for each other as brethren, and they talk about it. They tell us about it. Uh, love is cohesive and enduring in a praying church. Love one another with a brotherly affection, and, and I use this, uh, the, the, the amplified description, uh, love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedent and showing honor one to another, and that's Romans uh, 12.10. And equality without partiality, um, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Uh, a praying church, uh, collectively praying together, brings ethnic uh, groups and, and, and members together in a way that, not, that, that, that can't happen just by coming into the church every Sunday and Wednesday night or whenever your services are and, and sitting down and listening to a sermon, uh, having a prayer, uh, re- uh, singing the hymns that we normally sing, and then go out through one of the many doors that's in our building. Brother John Gerhardt talked about the backdoor syndrome here to the young people who, who, whom he fascinated. He's an excellent teacher. I don't want to praise the brother. Uh, I praise God that in his ability to talk to the young about real love and the absence of it. But he talked about the backdoor syndrome. The thing that the early church did, interestingly enough, I have a, have a book at home called The Primitive Church, and they do exactly what we do and one other thing, meaning that they came together, someone spoke, someone preached, uh, they prayed together, they sang songs together, and then nobody obviously was looking at the watch to see if it was time to go home because they stayed together then and did exactly the things that Brother John just talked about. Talked about how, how the Lord worked in their life in the past week. Uh, what a great experience they had. Or, brother, sister, I've got this trouble. I've got this problem. Let, help me with it before I go home. They really were a cohesive group that practiced caring for each other. Um, Unified in purpose, for we labor together. Our labors together with God. You are God's husbandry and God's building. Uh, strife. We, we, of course, there's no strife in the church, is there? There shouldn't be. Uh, was there in the early church? Uh-huh. And what did they do about it? There was strife among the apostles. Really was. Proved the imperfection of, of humanity, even among them. Uh, when, when Paul said, you know, uh, I, 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 I had to challenge Peter to his face, 
because he was kind of two-faced at that point in time. He, he, uh, when he was with uh, some, uh, he made no difference between any of the Gentiles, but when he was among Jewish brethren, he ate with them instead of perhaps going to different tables at different times to, 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 to share. Uh, uh, and, and, and this is the key to, to ending strife, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace with them that make peace. A praying church is also not perfect, but for the most part, in my experience, it has the least amount of strife when you're in a church that is not habitually, but continually praying together. That is the secret to ending strife, is praying together. And, and I, can, I can testify that uh, nine elders can't make peace in a church. I, I've, I've been there. I've been one of the nine. Uh, you can't make peace in a church. A peace uh, arrives in a church when everybody is, is, is in line with the Holy Spirit's leading. You can try to eliminate the obstacles, but you can't bring the peace. Um, believers live victorious lives in this present world, and the first generation faith is still preserved and remains a part of, of God's remnant. John, I took too long. Sorry. Okay, um, another point on what might our role be in the church is to be active in the church. Um, so, just as a discussion point, throwing it out, what motivates us to be active in the kingdom? Okay, love? So, the desire to see God's church grow. To see God's church grow? Seeing it. Seeing a need and filling it. Recognizing that there's so much work to be done. Recognizing that there is a lot of work to get done. Blessings from being active. examples of going to church and that it's part of our lifestyle and being active in it. Yeah, I think um, one point for me is um, comes from the passage in Matthew um, where Christ um, says that, I'll read it in Matthew um, 25, 34 to 40, um, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee? Or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger, and took thee in? Or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, 
inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I think that, that's one point for me that really motivates me that in whatever we are doing, if we're, um, we're doing it for the Lord and we know that, um, that he will give the increase and he will, he will provide and he will um, just take what we have done and bless it, then that just that motivates me that there is, um, there's value in doing it and it's something important to do. Um, I think one point of just encouragement, um, are we willing to do the, the work that no one else wants to be done at church, the work that people don't see, um, the behind-the-scenes work? Maybe it's reaching out to those people that aren't as popular, those people that just <clears throat> don't fit in as well at church, or going out of our comfort zones. Um, I think these are all areas where there's a lot of opportunity to serve in the church. Um, as I was, was already touched upon, um, being active in the church, it's a lifestyle. It's not something that we just um, come to a building and do on a Sunday morning, but it's, it's a lifestyle. It's an attitude. It should be all the time. Um, Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So this ties in being, being active in the kingdom really ties together in what is his purpose for our lives and what does God want us to be busy about and what is his will for us to do. And... Um, the Amplified Version in Romans 8.28 says, We are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, so God's working together with us, all things work together and are fitted into a plan for good to those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. So, working together with God, being um, willing and useful to be part of that tapestry that he's weaving and part of that um, master plan that he has. I think the key is just to be willing. The Lord doesn't require um, super skills or great expertise in an area. He doesn't really care about all those things because he can shape us and mold us into that. Um, An interesting quote, the Lord isn't interested in our abilities, just our availability. So are we available? Are we, um, do we um, sacrifice the time to be working in his kingdom. Um, just an example. Um, in Bible class, there was a comment a while back, and the question posed, what do we do, what's our default setting, or what do we do when we have free time, when there's nothing really going on, there's nothing that we're busy working on, what do we sort of default, or what do we um, do when in sort of an off time? And there's the example of this, this family that was always very busy doing lots of different things at church, and they were always very active, and um, the mother was having a conversation with someone and mentioned that they, um, they finally had a free night once, and um, the other person was like, oh, you know, what did you do? Did you just spend some time at home or something? And then the mom was like, no, we decided to go visit this elderly sister at a nursing home or hospital or something like that. So, you know... All, are we spending our time in things that are valuable and things that um, have purpose for the kingdom and 
things that are worthwhile. Each day we need to have the attitude of being a servant to all and whatever and whomever we meet. I really like that song that um, it's called Just One More Soul. And it has that line in it where it speaks about um, it'd be worth it all, a lifetime of labor, just one more soul. And I think that's the mindset we need to have that all our labors, whatever might, we would do, that in the end, it would be completely <laughs> worth it if um, God would um, work in it to bring one more soul to, to heaven. And I think that's the mindset that we have to have. And, you know, at times we don't really want to, you know, we could be doing other things. Um, it might be work that's not enjoyable or something that we'd rather be doing, but um, in the end, a lifetime of labor, would it would be still worth it for one soul. Think of it on the receiving end if you were that one soul. First, First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. John four thirty-five says, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. The time is now. We have, we're not promised tomorrow. God wants us to be active and working in his vineyard today, right now. Um, I know even for myself, it, it's always, you know, it's great to say, you know, I plan to do this or this in the future time, but God's given us today and we have now to do it in. Um, we should be busy about, about um, his work always. Um, and being active in his church. Um, can we say that there is evidence in our lives that those from school or work that know us, can, is there enough evidence? Can they see that we are who we serve and um, what we are working towards? Um, I know in North America right now we're not being persecuted for, say, um, physically as being Christians. We're not being put on trial for our faiths or um, convicting us and um, sending us to prison or being killed. But um, I know a brother shared with me that he said, you know, if ever a time would come that that would come back. He said, I want there to be so much evidence, the people that I work with, the people that I interact, that without a shadow of a doubt I would be completely convicted being a follower of Jesus. And I think that's really the attitude that we need to have, that um, everyone that we come in contact with, it would not be a shot of a doubt that, that who we serve and um, what, what our goals and priorities are in this life. James one twenty seven, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Um, another area in what our role might be is in, in building up the church. Hebrews 3.13 states, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we need to be exhorting one another, lifting one another up, um, encouraging one another. Um, what, what do we talk about or what, what do we spend our time with 
um, encouraging one another when we come together at church. Um, I know I'm guilty of it, but a lot of times you come out of a sermon or you're sitting at lunch and conversations on anything but something that is spiritually uplifting or encouraging or, you know, it's just about whatever we did during our week. And um, I think it's very important that we really try to have our conversations be of those things that have eternal value and um, things that are really encouraging and uplifting to each one at church. Um, Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I think this is the attitude that we need to apply to um, our conversations that we do speak on those things that are pure and are lovely and of good report and um, things that edify and encourage one another. So are we serving one another? Are we building up our brothers and sisters um, at church? Are we, um, do we come to church to build one another up or do we come to church to maybe tear apart other people or give our opinions on certain people that we don't agree with? Um, Satan would, Satan loves taking little things that maybe we disagree with or don't get along with and using that to just drive a wedge in between us. And when we allow that to happen, um, you know, Satan will just take that and run with it. Um, he wants to drive a wedge between us. That's his goal. We have to see that Satan is trying to actively attack the church. He wants to destroy it. That's his main goal, his main purpose. Do we um, keep that in mind or have that attitude when um, we don't maybe get along with one another or we don't um, see eye to eye with one another? We, st we still have to remember to um, speak to one another in love and realize that um, Satan wants to take any opportunity to um, pull us apart and um, put us against ourselves and our brothers and sisters. Slide 23. Get out here where I can see it. Yeah. Uh, time is running out. We've got just a few minutes. Uh, basically, I know two reasons why the Apostolic Christian Church is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Two reasons. I have studied it historically, uh, have found that when the Anabaptist movement began in the time of the Reformation, that the principles of faith of those men and women who gave their lives because they believed it is what we believe. I wish I could say it's what we all practice but it's what we believe, and I have proven it by taking our statement of faith and finding everything that the seven uh, statements in the Schleidheim Confession, which was the, the bold public announcement of those Anabaptist believers, is exactly the same. Whether or not we keep it is our 
uh, challenge. Uh, I believe we are. I believe we're working very hard to keep it. Um, am I concerned about it? Of course I am. But the, the brother who was speaking about keeping the family intact, uh, Brother Mike, your son, forgot his name, James, had, men- had mentioned the fact that the children, paraphrased, are the core and they are. The church will not be saved by the elders. The church will not be saved by uh, the large groups of believers coming together. The church is saved in the home. It really is. Uh, the original model still works. Uh, wonders for those who treasure and embrace its teachings. It still changes lives. That's the second reason. There still are people who believe what is preached from most of our pulpits, uh, and they apply it in faith, and their lives are changed. They are saved from their sin, and that proves to me that we still have the right gospel and the expectations for converted people. My concern lies in the fact that the challenge that is going to be laid before you, the clouds that are already rising from the horizon are, uh, we are not saved from our sin, we're saved in our sin. And that's the difference between Anabaptists and Evangelicals. We are not Evangelicals. We are Anabaptists. And uh, evidence suggests, evidence suggests if it, is, if it is neglected, modified, or rejected, it relegates dissenters and their followers to nominal Christianity in three generations or less. And unfortunately, I can tell you how you can prove that. Go or don't go, examine the results of those who left us because they were no longer of us, and not even they know, some of them, what their children believe. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy of major proportions. And it's my hope and prayer, and we are going to have to end it thus, John, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, that, that uh, each of us takes very seriously in our homes with our little ones and makes the fellowship of believers and the, the, the teaching and preaching of the gospel not, not just something that is on Sunday and on, uh, on Wednesday or whatever, but that it is the way of life in this house. And they can see it in mother and father. They can hear it when mom and dad take them to church from the Sunday school teachers who are teaching them sound teaching. It is in jeopardy. It really is. But it will always remain with the remnant that stays with that original model and believes it with all their heart and wants to perpetuate it in those that are closest to them. Forgive us for not being able to get through all of it, um, but there's enough meat to chew on, as it were. Let's each of us take inventory how well we're doing. Thank you for being here.